1: Welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast that takes you inside the best restaurants with only the most dazzling of guests. We sit down, work our way through the menu, and I use the unique setting of a long lunch to tease out new truths and insights from my companion. It's remarkable what people will tell you over a fat lunch. Sat across from me today is a musician and broadcaster, frontman of the multi-award-winning rock band Elbow. It's Guy Garvey. Look, man, you you introduced
2: me to Brains on Toast. I introduced you to Small. A cultural exchange. A cultural exchange <laughs> has,
1: has occurred. <laughs> <laughs> So for this week's Out to Lunch, I've decided to bring Guy Garvey of Elbow to St John. To describe this as an influential restaurant is a major understatement. It's probably one of the most influential restaurants uh, in Britain to date, and it's celebrating its 25th anniversary as we speak. It's famous for Chef Fergus Henderson's philosophy of nose to tail, which is if you're going to bang an animal on the head, you should eat every bit of it. Um, one of its key dishes is roasted bone marrow on toast with a parsley salad, which I may just have to order. It's setting an old smokehouse. It's whitewashed, it's bare bones, but the food never disappoints. Uh, I don't believe Guy's ever been here before and so I'm hoping to introduce him to a few things he's never eaten before. Hello. Guy. How are you? I'm very well. I'm delighted you were able to do this. No, okay. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah.
2: yeah, this is great.
1: Well, it's not a bad start to a Monday, is it? Yeah, it's brilliant, yeah. This, I think, is Ryan's
2: Hello. Good afternoon. How are we? Great, thanks.
1: We're good. Wine? Yeah. Great. Red wine? Great. Should I get a bottle? Yeah.
0: The St. John Rouge would be quite nice. It's Hibernais Syrah. Or if you want something a bit heavier, Bianotto Merlot Syrah. I'll
1: let you choose. I'd go with a slightly lighter one. Yeah, great. Given the hour.
2: Perfect. Yes, yes, that's some kind of... <laughs> I don't know what
1: I'm talking about. No, I genuinely don't. I don't I was, either. I haven't got a clue. I'll, I'll, I'll admit I don't either. Your enthusiasm for drinking well... Yeah. You do treat it as an important part of life. Well, it is. It's it's really popular. <laughs> drinking. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I hadn't come across it until recently, guys, so I was, you know, quite taken.
2: No, uh, I do. I love the rituals of it. I love the... Uh, I think it's a very economical way to drill down into your emotions on a regular basis. I think that's exactly what it is. You've talked about getting on the tour bus with a bottle of red wine. And no glass. And no glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. We didn't We didn't really consider ourselves a rock and roll band. But when I look back, we absolutely were. I mean, we, we went for it. Um, in but, that- but in a joyous way. So I suppose what it is, is if you... If you're a good drinker and you have a really good time doing it, and you leave everybody that you drank with happy, you never see it as a problem. And
1: did it ever become a problem?
2: Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was at one point I couldn't I couldn't perform without being really quite drunk, like half a bottle of whiskey drunk. And yeah, that was a problem. And you but never was,
1: forgot the lyrics?
2: Uh, no, I have tell prompts in front of me with all the words on. Just to burst a million bubbles out there.
1: Specifically for that reason? Is that why it started?
2: Well, I started needing it during that period. I'll be honest with you, I, ne- I never look at the thing.
1: Um, but it's a safety net yeah, underneath exactly. you because yeah. you're never going to
2: drop the catch. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Well, once, once it's been there, you need it. I mean, of course, when it doesn't work, I'm fine. <laughs> but no, that was arenas. That was 2008, kicking everything up a gear. We ended up doing two back-to-back arena tours of, of Europe and the UK. And they were really big rooms, and a lot of our music's really How many subtle. People? We're talking twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah. Trying to keep the atmosphere intimate meant talking a lot between the songs. So it wasn't just getting out there and singing what I know is right. It was like I was having to, or I felt I had to talk a lot. So the pressure of it got to me, and I was I was seriously wasted uh, quite often.
1: Did anybody intervene? Did anybody else in the band? No,
2: because I wear it well.
1: Uh, you were a good drunk. Yeah. See, so I'm yeah. a shit drunk. <laughs> How does it manifest itself? It doesn't make me happy. Right. I go from happy to unhappy very quickly. Mm.
2: The worst effects for me, really, were I got to a point where I'd finish a song and I'd go, got through that one. Only nine to go, do you know what I mean? And, and that's my Which me- means
1: that you weren't enjoying it. And oh. there's no point doing your job if you don't enjoy that.
2: No, exactly. And it was, I was in therapy for something else completely. And in the course of this therapy, the lady said, "You know, tell me about performing. What's going on?" I said, like, "I fucking hate it." And off I went. And she said, "She she taught me through. Actually, it was brilliant. She taught me through the worst case scenario show that I could possibly have. Like from start to finish, everything going wrong. And she made me. Um, and what what's the worst thing that could happen then? And I'd say, well, my microphone falls off, and, sp-. and what would happen? Well, they'd pick it up. They'd replace it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No." And she ran me and, and literally it sort of just Nick chopped all these little blocks away. And then she said, I think you should get a really, really good whiskey and have one large one before you go on. You know, she said, don't break with your ritual entirely, but enjoy it and savour it. And then so go is and do the same. that what you do? Yeah. And then go and do the same with your performance.
1: And do you enjoy it? Yeah, I do. I, I do. mean, you look supremely comfortable when you're out there. You own that space. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm in my favourite band. So food-wise, do you know this place at all? No. On the one hand, there's an argument that it's sort of twinned with France because you need French technique to cook this sort of very British food, but I'd seriously say properly twinned with Lancashire.
2: Okay, great.
1: So being nose-to-tail, there's roast bone marrow and parsley salad, which is the classic thing. There's pig's tongue, there's lamb rissoles. There is actually an Eccles cake with Lancashire cheese when we get to the far end. Right. (laughs) You said no dietary requirements, which we assume
2: meant... You'll eat almost anything. Yeah, that's true. I admire the idea of using the whole animal. I, I also feel dared by, by some by some of the... Uh...
1: <laughs> it can look challenging. <laughs> yeah. And and it's whether it's machismo or not. Yeah.
0: a few specials
1: for lunch. What specials do you have?
0: So, as a starter, I've got lamb brain and green sauce. It's served on some toast. Okay. Poached and court bouillon first. Slice and then pan fried.
1: And actually, I know what, I know what I'm going to do. For starters, we're going to get three. OK. So that the bone marrow is there, but also the brains are there. OK. Like that. Yeah. Makes sense. Lovely.
2: I could have the cod's row and toast, please. Absolutely.
1: And if the brains are in front of me, and then we'll put the bone marrow in the middle of the table. Perfect. Main? I'll have the braised hoggart, please.
2: Lovely.
1: Barley and mint sauce. And I'll have the Tamworth chop.
0: Would you like any side dishes to go with those mains? Vegetables, rare
2: bits? Some greens, please.
1: Yeah. That'll do me fine. That looks like our wine of St John Cabernet Syrah. You're on tasting duties.
2: Yeah, this is a very different Monday. Is it? Yeah. Not a bad way. No, it's a good one.
1: Lovely.
0: Excellent.
1: So you're one of seven. Yeah. Which is a big family. Yeah. What was dinner time like before your parents split? Because they split when you were
2: 12? That's right. Right. Um, Mayhem. So, my mum still lives in the house we grew up in, and it's... You you can't believe it, you know? And we're all quite tall, we're all quite big, and the idea of all of us living in that house, you know, it seems just about the right size for mum. And then feeding nine people? Yeah. That's major. Yeah. Well, mum's, mum's recipes are all her mother's recipes, and she grew up in Cone in Lancashire, so... There was always vegetables, but there was always something substantial, you know. So it was like pie, greens, potatoes, carrots. Actually, I didn't realise that chilli con carne didn't always come with pasta twirls until I was about 25. That's how she used to She do. was
1: bulking it out with a good bit of carbs. Exactly, yes.
2: And that's what she used to do. I remember one Christmas Day, because uh, Mum, she'd also have extended family over on Christmas Day, which was just crazy. So many people... It's such a small house, Um, so she had her hair in rollers, and she's rushing around doing things. And one kid's asking for something, a teenage daughter's asking for something, and she said to me, um, "Get the turkey and put it in the roasting tray." So I'm looking around for the familiar sight of a, a bird defrosting on a plate, and I can't see it anywhere. And I'm, "Mum, where's the turkey? Mum, where's the turkey?" And she's dealing with the other things. In the washing machine. It was in the washing machine. That's it was Just in the washing say. machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Seriously? Yeah. What made you say that? Well, I was just thinking around a room and what would be a cupboard. And, well, it, it, the, the old gag about putting, um, you know, the flowers in the oven because there's nowhere else to keep them. There are, a lot of people use
2: the oven as another cupboard. I, I think right, what else I, would be? Yeah, it, it the was the washing machine. machine. She was using the drainage system and, and the, the warm, sterile environment to defrost the turkey. So it was a stroke of genius. But she said it like this. In the washing machine, you know. Like, like, where else would it be? Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. me and your mum, we know where, where to put... Absolutely. ..where to put turkeys. <laughs> so, this description, we've, we've got something pretty much... It sounds almost kitchen sink drama, seven kids... Yeah. ..every sperm is sacred. Yeah. Do you remember that from I the do, beginning yeah, of Monty yeah, birth yeah. where they've got 400 children, catch yeah. the other one as it drops? But, you know, you shouldn't stereotype these things. Your mum went back to university, trained as a psychologist. That's right. All your sisters went to university. Mm -hmm. And my brother as well, And my brother as well. Yeah. Your dad was a proofreader for, was it Mirror Group?
2: Yep, and uh, eventually uh, he ended up working at our old secondary school. He was like a a graphics assistant operating the printing there, actually, and checking the same job that he'd done, really.
1: But it was a very well-read household.
2: Yes, I'd say so. There was a world
1: of the mind in that house.
2: Yeah, Uh, and also... Constant debate on everything that was going on and, you know, mum and dad both encouraging us to to think. Political? Uh, yeah, my dad was um, father of the chapel for a print union, you know. Uh, yeah, he was a very, very strong sort of uh, socialist leanings. But he also used to bring the right-wing press home as well because he wanted us to look at the balance
1: you uh, recorded your dad mm. and started a project to get people to record their dads. And I love the exchange where you said, is that because you think I'm going to die? And you replied... No, it's because I know you're going to die. i <laughs> <laughs> listened to that, and it's, it's extraordinary stuff. Was that because you feel not everybody's voice gets to be heard?
2: Yeah, uh, and also because, being from a big family, I'm aware of how different versions of the story uh, can quite mm. often become the official one. Also, when I started recording him, because I started recording him in 2006, it was because I had the equipment, uh, because of being a musician. And now everybody has the equipment in the pocket. Yeah. And, and it struck me when I considered... I actually thought, I've got all those recordings and Dad, I'm so glad, you know. Because the disparity between the awkward question, can I record your voice, and the value of having the recording is so vast. Yeah. I thought, if I don't give people a reason to, to do it... And maybe even an excuse, i.e. I heard this radio programme about recording your parents. Because it was on Radio
1: 4 afterwards, wasn't it? It
2: was, and, and they broadcast it on his birthday as well, which was lovely.
1: I try not to quote myself, but I'm not beyond it. I <laughs> did once write that uh, reporting families was harder than reporting wars <laughs> because there are fewer witnesses.
2: <laughs> That's it, exactly, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and so did you get the versions of stories that you felt were more
2: accurate or did you just... Get his version. Well, I mean, let's not pretend for a second my dad's stories didn't change. Uh, What I thought I was going to be recording in the first place was the stories I'd heard a thousand times, all of which had a punchline. Um, But as soon as I hit record and started asking questions, I got a version of dad that I'd never had. The stories of how he looked up to his dad and his his big brother, who's my son's name, St James, and, uh, and, and also, I got a portrait of him as a teenager, given that so much of who he was was the unions and was uh, his co-workers, you know, a very, very proud union man. Um, nearly all of his jokes ended with uh, a posh person being told to fuck off, <laughs> right, in some way. And given that this was very much his outward demeanour, he told me that when he was a teenager, they used to go to the opera house out of season, and all the understudies from the touring Italian and French operas used to tour it off-season and make a bit of money. And they'd go and see these, if you like, every-man operas. And he's talking about, like, being 15, 16. Uh, and I was like, how are you dressed? And he was in a blazer and a tie with his hair quiffed. And his gang of friends included women as well. It wasn't just boys. It was like he had a mixed group of friends. And they were very much into their opera and the jazz. And I got this sense of somebody who actually had some highbrow leanings.
0: So let the smoked smoke on toast. Lamb brains and green sauce on toast. And the bone marrow. Wow. So I've given you both a pick each. You're going to use those picks, use both sides. Dig the marrow from the bone and get it onto the toast. Then we've got some moist spray salt on the plate here. You're going to sprinkle that on top, then finally get the parsley salad on there.
2: Great. Cheers. Enjoy. Thank you. Mm. Have you done everything you instructed? A little bit of salt at the back. Mm-hmm. What makes grey salt grey?
1: Um, It's when you take seawater and you boil it. Yeah. You'll get the salt crystals on the top, the white stuff. That's the... The salt flour, fleur okay. de sel. Mm-hmm. The stuff underneath is the selgrie.
2: Ah.
1: I expect you'd get bits in your beard. It's all right. Don't feel the need to do it ever again. It's delicious. Mm. Mm. So, ed- education, betterment mm. was a, a thing. Yeah. And as we know six out of the seven siblings went to university. Mm and sort of moved on in the world. Not you. You now have an honorary doctorate from Manchester Met.
2: Mm. Which really annoyed my sister Samantha. How hard did she work for her PhD? Well, she had about six years of research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so flattered. That was amazing. It's a really treasured memory, actually, because obviously my mum and my dad came. And I had my first tailored suit made for the occasion. I based it on my grandfather's work suit. There's a great photograph of him sat in this lovely heavy brown suit with baggy trousers and turn-ups, but he was a big, handsome guy, and he looks great. And I had my granddad's raincoat, the one he had when he died. So I wore that to the ceremony as well, and my dad recognised it. It's like not been seen the light of day at that point for 25 years, and he was looking at me, he said is that my dad's raincoat? I said, yeah. And he was, it was a really lovely moment, you know.
1: I'm curious about your voice, which mm. um, is fantastic. Thank you. When did you find that voice?
2: I joined my first band when I was 14 at school. What was it called? Synoptic Reverb. Of course it was. Yeah, it doesn't mean a thing. And uh, we never did a gig. Uh, but we used to get together on a Saturday and hang around under a railway bridge and smoke... Looking cool. And actually, to be in a band at that point in Manchester was, was massive. Our first rehearsal, um, Hallelujah by the Happy Mondays, was in the indie charts. I think it was at the top of the indie charts. We're talking 88 here, eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah. And, and then you've got the, the Stone Roses appearing. Uh, and for a little while, you couldn't like both, which is, I think this is something born of Manchester's football teams. You could be red or blue. You know, that's still the yeah. case. You couldn't like the specials and Madness. Uh, You had to pick one. Uh, It kind of, you know, it trod outside the boundaries of football. Uh, And for a while, you couldn't like the Happy Mondays and the Stone Roses. Manchester finally got their act together on that one, didn't they? Oh, yeah, exactly. Because both bands were preaching love. Yeah. You know? But let's be absolutely
1: clear, you still can't like both Oasis and Blur.
2: Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) You toured with Blur, didn't you? Yeah. And we've supported Oasis, we toured Europe with Blur uh, when they released Think Tank, which was an education. I mean, I like to count Damon as my friend, and during that tour, uh, we missed Soundcheck more than once because he'd have an idea and pull his four-track tape recorder onto the middle of the stage and bang it down, you know. Really? Yeah, and and he's sort of... The only thing you have to do to write is to actually do it, and... If you have a notion of a ooh, that might be a good idea, you've got to get it down immediately. And he does it so immediately to the cost of everything else. Uh, but then it's no surprise to anyone that he's so prolific. He's, he's written so many amazing records.
1: Do did any of the gigs suffer as a result of missing sound checks? Or by then was the crew on the road so shit hot anyway?
2: We have the best crew in the world, so yeah, we were fine. Yeah, yeah. you want to try
1: some lamb's brains as well? Well, I've got to. I, don't know. I think you have, really.
2: Will I be able to read sheep's minds?
1: Yes, yes. That's exactly what happens as a result of eating lamb's brains. Right. And if you want to listening to this and you want to complain about what we're doing, don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's quite delicious. Soft. It is delicious, mm. isn't it? Lamb's brains now. Yeah. <laughs> On the rider. The... Oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be brilliant. <laughs> you're picked up pretty much and taken to rehearsal by one of one of what would become elvis you're so well researched i like to do my homework <laughs> it's only polite isn't it yeah, so. And, and you said that you've been asked to join many other bands before, but nobody had actually bothered to pick you up. That's right. Which suggests, uh, don't take this the wrong way, um, an almost morbid lack of ambition on your part if you couldn't get your ass to any of the other rehearsals.
2: No, they, they wouldn't come and get me. Um, and I wanted to be a singer. And, and, and you felt yeah, like me. you needed to be needed. Uh, absolutely. Drummers drive themselves to rehearsals, so I want picking up. <laughs> no, it was literally. I'd joined a million pub bands. But Mark turned up when he said he would. And I was totally ill-prepared. I, I forgot until I saw the car pull up and I thought, I wonder who that is? I'd forgotten all about it. They jumped out and I quickly got dressed. And the rest is history.
1: Right, well, let's leave it there, then. Um, <laughs> but you've also said... Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think you are quite a romantic soul, so I don't think you're beyond romanticising your own story. Mm-hmm. You've also said... You knew from that the moment you got together with that band. Oh yeah,
2: did you really? I mean, was it that, that first afternoon wherever that rehearsal was? I'll tell you what it was. It was in it was in Saint Anne's Church Hall in Tottington, where all the rest of the boys are from, which is in the hills above Berry. And uh, I remember our drummer's kit had bits of chemistry set holding it up. Mark had an amplifier and a guitar. So did Pete. Um, Craig just had the church hall piano, which wasn't tuned, um, and I had some semblance of a mic stand, but it had been cobbled together. And um, we played something like Long Tall Sally or Johnny Be Good, like standard 12-bar thing.
0: Yeah.
2: And it was the echo when we stopped at the same moment. Moment uh, of tightness? I thought so, <laughs> you know. It was just, in the echo, I, I, I was just, it was so exhilarating... To have made music and been part of something. And the fact that we all knew when to stop, I don't know why the end of it was the thing, but it was just so thrilling. And down the years and years and years, you know, uh, I had, I've had a bit of therapy here and there for one thing or another. And I like uh, that in an interviewee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a question that, Ended up making my day was when outside of drunkenness or sex, um, uh, are you at your most childlike? Uh, and I and I said on the inside of a song when, when we're writing a good song, and it's true, I, I caper like an idiot. Like, luckily the band find it amusing most of the time, but I, I totally turn into a giddily run around the room, jumping off things, swinging from things when it's going well. I, I just, I'm still addicted to that feeling.
1: Manchester, it's always struck me as being a little bit like a school playground. Mm. And with all the cleats that you get in school playgrounds, and there's them over there and there's them over there, but everybody knows about everybody else. Mm,
2: yeah, that's true. Mm.
1: Were you part of the school playground? Were you known in Manchester? In the way that before the Smiths happened, Morrissey was a figure in Manchester long before he released his first yeah. single. They knew who he was.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I hung around in the same bar, the Night and Day Café, um, very sadly, my, my old friend Jan, who ran the place, uh, died in October. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And um, another close friend of ours, Scott, who ran the other rock and roll bar, died within eight days of totally unrelated. It's just absolutely awful. But these two places were where we all hung out uh, night and day while we were waiting for things to happen. You know, pre mobile phones I'd sit at the end of the bar in the night and day. And, and wait that for, was the phone number they had? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we'd refer to it as the office. Which would drive Jan mad, and the first place in the, the world you could buy an elbow record was particularly records directly opposite. And I'd go A in, very famous record shop. Yeah, I'd go in there on the half hour and ask if anyone had even picked it up and looked at it.
1: Did you really? Yeah. That's right under the headline. No shame whatsoever.
2: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> absolutely. Did? That,
1: are you, were they
2: kind? Oh, completely. They'd agreed to stock it. They'd been burnt once, but one by one by. Our manager, Phil, who's our manager to this day, he'd burnt him in his office and packaged him up. And when, when we sold 15, I rang everybody in the band from the call box at the end of the bar and told them, We sold 15.
1: Probably spent most of the royalty that you would have got for the 15 <laughs> on shoving 10 P's into yeah. the phone box. Mm. How did you meet your manager then? It's a good story, this.
2: My uh... <laughs> <Thank> God. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. a shit story, but I'm going to tell you <clears her> anyway. <throat> Thank God you have to. So we're rehearsing in this old mill called Apocalypse Studios in Bury, which is still there. It's a Thursday afternoon. We used to rehearse every day of the week and uh, and write and so forth. Uh, it's a Thursday afternoon and the door opens. As far as we're aware, there's no one else in the building. And our manager, Phil, walks in, never met him before, and he walks in with three, four other people and he says, Hi Lance, this is Matthew from Food and Caroline Ellery from BMG and uh, they've come down to listen to a few songs, is that okay? So nobody questioned who he was, you know. No, we'd never had any kind of record company scout come anywhere near us. So we said, oh yeah, okay. And while we are while performing these songs, all of our minds must have been going, I think I know what's going on here, you know. <laughs> this guy's pretending he knows or something. Got to the end of it all, uh, they gave us some feedback, some of which was really good. And then Phil said, "I'm going to drive these guys back to the train station, then we'll come and have a little council of war." Okay, and we all said, "Yeah." And then Mark, not being one for subterfuge of any kind, said, "And you are?" <laughs> like and, and Phil grabbed his hand and shook it, and that's <laughs> all so fellas laugh, you know. Yeah. And off the, and off they went. But that was his calling card to turn up with. Some record scouts from London. Ballsy? Ballsy, yeah. Did he have to argue with Mark <laughs> to say, no, we should have it? Or... No, there was nobody else up for the job at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in retrospect, we were dreadful. What was he thinking? Were you dreadful? Yeah, it was ages before we were any good.
1: So what was the point when you... Keep eating. Oh, yeah, OK. There's a big chop in my future. <laughs> you know, this is only an excuse for me to have lunch, mate. It's, it's, <laughs> i to get you in. Um... What was the point that you went from we're a bit shit to actually this is something worth listening to?
2: I hear a lot of new music and I can hear it when a band is trying to be commercially successful while having artistic sensibilities. And we've been doing that. And it stopped working, so we changed the name of the band to Elbow. Remind people where that comes from, because it is lovely. It's from the Danish Potter play, *The Singing Detective*. Michael Gambon's got a psoriasis, ter- terrible psoriasis, which stops him physically moving. And a lot of the play's hallucinations and things. And then there's this lovely moment when he can use his hands again and he can physically write again. And he's talking to, I think it's a policeman at the foot of his bed. It is it a policeman? Yeah. And he says, "What's the most beautiful, sensual word in the English language?" Not by connotation, but by how it feels to say in the mouth. And he says Ebony, and then he says Elbow. And it stuck in my head for being a kid. And uh, it could be a better band name. We, we could have a better band name. But Do you think? Yeah. Do you
1: not think that successful band names are just by the association with the output? I, think I mean, so. there are terrible names for bands. I'm trying to think of one. I'd
2: love to be in a band called Interpol or Supergrass. Or uh, smog, smog. Yeah, Jesus.
1: Yeah, but smog sounds like a prog rock band from 1977. <laughs> they're not
2: though. Are they not? <laughs> no, they're Is not. No, though. Is there a band called Smog?
1: Yeah. Oh shit. And
2: it, <laughs> it's 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 the uh, nom de plume of Bill Callahan, and it's amazing. He's one of the most amazing songwriters. Yeah.
1: I feel very bad now that
2: I look, man. You, you introduced me to brains on toes, I introduce you to smoke. A, a cultural exchange. A cultural exchange <laughs> has, has occurred. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
0: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No.
2: So, the album we've just finished is only nine songs long, because...
1: Well, and in fact, at the point when this drops, mm-hmm. we can say, J- Giant of All Sizes has now been released. Great. So, it's out October the
2: 11th. Mm-hmm. Where um. are you at this exact moment with it? Is it done? Last night, I sat in my garden doing something the band referred to as getting chuffed, which is, between finishing and releasing a record... You're going back to listen to it one more time just to check it's right. There's no way you can change it. It's being manufactured. And what you're actually doing is, is having a, a little bit of a chuffed moment to yourself. So I got wasted on, on, a, on a gin called Defiant, which I urge you to try. It's distilled in uh, Rochdale, made by an older man. That's it. And it's great.
1: And not so, just because it's from Rochdale and Eldham.
2: No, it's just really good. <laughs> <Okay. interesting. laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but you're not beyond saying that, are you? No, no, <laughs> no it's, it's excellent.
2: Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to find an alternative to whiskey. Because, um, the, yeah, there's, there's no low calorie mixes that satisfy, is there, with the, with the whiskey? No, none. Whereas Jane's got loads. Anyway, I sat there and listened to the record and got sloshed in the garden last night. It was a lovely, warm night. And, it, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really proud of it and excited by it. It's a, a big record of big themes, but it rocks.
1: By the title, Giants of All Sizes, would strike me as being about our fears and our woes and all the things that are there to scare the Jesus out of us.
2: Yeah, and just characters, just characters in life that have an effect on you. It actually comes from a song that isn't on the album. I was in Vancouver while my father was dying of cancer, and I knew I would be there when he died, cos I was out there with my family while Rachel was working. She was filming. Uh, and it was a very sad and difficult time in many ways. But also Jack walked for the first time while we were there. and
1: That's life-circle turning. Yeah. How old was he when he died? 84. Right, so... Yeah, it was like... We don't wish them gone, but it's that, yeah, that's lifespan. Like...
2: Totally. Uh, and, and he was amazing. I was with him when he received his diagnosis and he was the fucking Fons. He was so, and not, not just cool about it, but just so kind to the, the doctor that was telling him, you know. It's this young woman doctor and she was in bits giving him the news that he wasn't going to live. And he was so amazing with her. He was so kind. And, you know, I'm glad it's you that's telling me because you're a wonderful person and you've given me great care. You know, he was just so cool. You made it about her rather than about him. He did. Obviously, there was moments when he was scared and moments when he was desperately sad, but ultimately, he was surrounded by his family. My sister and her husband nursed him in their home for the last three months. They're both registered nurses. But, I mean, how do I ever repay that gift, you know? she, She made Dad's death a beautiful thing. He never felt a moment's pain. He never lost his appetite. He had chemo, but he didn't lose any hair. And he died surrounded by singing singing and laughing. So, it's all, yeah, that's all on there. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> have you written
1: about your dad passing?
2: About five of Elbow's songs. I put lyrics on them that were about that and one of them has made the record. It's made against the Brexit backdrop. It's about the death of my friends as well as my father. It's also about new life and friendship and the band itself as a thing that sustains. And It's, you know... There's quite a bit of gallows humour in there as well. It's, um... The one song that made the record is the final song, which is is called Weightless. That's the plates being removed for so anybody who's wondering what's going on. <laughs> and it's written to my son about my dad passing. And it's only one phrase. It says, um... Not that I quote myself very often. Please. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in a safe space here. <laughs> uh, it says, um... Hey, you look like me, so we look like him. When the time came, just as you are, he was weightless in my arms. And it's about it. Jack being here made Dad's death about part of something rather than the end of something.
1: So isn't that the gift? Isn't that the way you repay your siblings for what they did while your father was dying, that you are able to chronicle?
2: I guess so, yeah.
1: And so when it all happens, yeah. So I'm thinking, what, what wins the Mercury? You, you get two Ivanovellos, mm. the South Bank Show Prize, the NME. I mean, you've got a Freeman of
2: Berry, free, a Freeman of Berry. We got the, we got the award the same day as Danny Boyle.
1: Forget the rest. Do you get to be hung by a silken rope or something if you're... I get clean. to
2: drive my sheep through the town centre without the police interfering, which they always used to.
1: Did they? Yeah. It must have been a pain in the arse, but now, now you're sorted. That's it. Did it feel like a vindication, or did it feel like, right, now we just get on with it? I mean, what? How did it feel when all that happened? It must have been a, an intense year.
2: I promise I'm not romanticising this. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds terribly over the blo- overblown and, and maybe a bit stupid, but... The day after... What am I doing? No, Hello. I don't know. Hello, You're Monday, trying to reach the wine drinking. into your
1: water. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm keeping you top tap, Guy.
2: Thanks, Jay. The day after the Mercury, coming home with the award, un- under my coat, um, the rest of the lads had made their way home uh, a different route. Me and Mark had stayed on, me and the guitarist Mark. Uh, and on the train on the way home, we were listening to our answer phone messages from the night before, which you can imagine... Quite, with people, with everyone beautiful. we loved hitting the roof. My favourite one was Richard Hawley's, because uh, he's a good old friend, and he's on that album, of course. We do a duet on that record. But anyway, I, uh, it beeped, and then I could hear Hawley's kids screaming and cheering, and, and and him laughing. And it's a very sort of specific laugh he's got. It's quite insane. And in between his laughter, I heard him say. There's chocolate fucking argandas all over the ceiling, you cunt! <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved. Yeah. So, me and Mark were in tears all the way back to Manchester. And then we, we took You managed thing. to live in the moment then? Because one of the oh, gr- yeah. terrible
1: things about great moments is the ability to actually live in it rather
2: than be so completely flummoxed by it. Yeah, no, it was it was so unexpected as well. We, we'd been the bridesmaids so many times. And the truth of the matter is you don't get into music for gold medal moments, you know. You just, it's not one of your things. I mean, I could tell you certain famous musicians who are only driven by how their success is compared to someone else, but I wouldn't want to be that person. It's like, otherwise you're not happy unless you're officially the most successful in the world ever, you know. So it's like, I've never been driven by anyone else's failure, I've never felt myself, you know. I don't see anyone else's acquisition as my loss. But
1: did it make you any happier?
2: Oh, I, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's like the one thing, the one thing you want is for people to listen to your music. Sure.
1: You know. I mean, people look at the Mercury as the turning point, but actually it wasn't that there was a turning point. It was a gradual thing that happened.
2: Yeah. The one thing, the loveliest thing about winning the Mercury was it's quite often quite controversial who wins it. Sure. And everybody seemed universally happy for us, you know. Whether it's because they thought we'd be hanging around, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm glad it's the meek. They have a hell of a time.
1: <laughs> but <you know. laughs> that, that at least oh. they'll enjoy it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, look at this. Yeah. Food is arriving. Tamworth chop, carrots and parsley
0: sauce.
2: Wow. Look That's a that. rare bit from the kitchen. <laughs> what, they just <laughs> insisted? They insisted. That's that looks amazing. Yeah. So,
0: mint sauce there extra
1: purchase sauce for you and a worcester sauce for the rarebit of course cool. great thank you You're the guardian buildings offices used to be on Farringdon road yeah and i would sometimes sneak down here and for lunch i would have that the welsh rabbit, which is pretty much you know i don't know if welsh rarebit it's basically fancy cheese on toast yeah but they do do it very
2: very well so that just for old time's sake they they've, they've
1: well, I don't know if they've remembered that, because, you know, people come and go in here. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm very pleased to see It, it is like seeing an old I'm friend. I'm
2: definitely going to have a go. It's one thing I can cook. Worth rabbit. Mm. I'm a terrible cook.
1: Are you a terrible cook? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Wait. Are you doing that? Just That's the crackling on the tenworth pork chop. It's so crunchy. This is amazing. The hogger. It's really good. It it looks to me like they put that in the oven late last night. It's absolutely delicious. The situation you're in now, married to Rachel Sterling, a very successful actress. She is also from theatrical royalty, Mm -hmm. as Diana Rigg is her her mother. I'm I'm mildly intrigued, no, actually, I'm hugely intrigued by this, because you are from, you're from Bury. I kind of think a semi-working-class background. I don't Mm -hmm. know how you define it, but very much from that, Greater Manchester culture. Yeah. You've been drawn in to an entirely different kind of social milieu. Mm. Are you aware of it? Yeah. Or does it not feel like that because you pass through so much? You're in showbiz anyway.
2: Well, I I don't know. It's like, yeah, Rachel's Rachel's dad is Lord Sterling, you know. Um, We couldn't be from different... uh, more different cultures while coming from the same landmass, we couldn't, but we share the same politics. And Diana's theatrical royalty, and she grew up in India and her her father was a skilled engineer, but it's her achievements that make her who she is, you know? It's... uh, I remember she was... I was looking through some of her stuff and I found a Time magazine with a picture on it and it said, is this the greatest actress alive? You know? it's, It's like... Diana's thing is, is a huge thing for Rachel to sort of be a part of, but she's just endlessly proud of her mum. You could imagine them both being in the same field, leading to jealously, but that's not who Rachel is. She's just enormously proud of her mum. Do you eat that much? A lot more than I used to. It's only in the last sort of ten years that I've been comfortable with anybody serving me. It's a real big issue. It's like, I felt like I should invite them to sit down and join in. Do you know what I mean?
1: No, I, 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 I understand the issue. My dad had that. Oh, he, yeah. He, he, yeah?
2: The first time I was in a restaurant where one of the party I was with complained, I wanted the world to swallow me up. I couldn't believe it. Was it a reasonable complaint? Even if, if you hated the moment? I would have done it better. Right. <laughs> I'd say you, was the best at complaining ever. Yeah. The mother-in-law. I'd love to see Diana Rigg complain in a restaurant. I'll tell you, it's like this. Um, All
1: right, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is Guy Garvey impersonates Diana Rigg. I don't know. Do you know what? I,
2: I can get into trouble here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's not my intention. There's
2: wine in front of you. Feel free. She said, She said, excuse me, could you tell the chef that I love him? I'm in love with him. I really am, but that is not, et <laughs> Could you ask him that it's supposed to be made like this and would he mind doing that? She's famous in restaurants just for being that lovely customer. Yeah, she's, uh, she's great fun to, 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 to eat out with. She's brilliant. Fantastic. Are you
1: aware of that stuff? You're in public, that you don't want people to, to think of you in one way or another, or are you very good at being yourself?
2: I'd like to think I am, yeah. I, I don't do anything I'd be ashamed of doing, if that's what you mean. I thought. So,
1: dear old Morrissey. Hmm. Has, is now seen in a rather different way mm. from being the Manchester hero that he was.
2: Because of the outrageous, racist stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, what do you think of that?
2: I, I love his work so much uh, that it, I, I find it really disappointing. And I think... I'm putting together a programme, actually, an archive programme for Sky, which delves into all these old regional TV recordings, The Tube, etc. but... There's some amazing never-seen stuff. And there's an interview with Morrissey, and he's, he's so, so confident and down the bottle of the camera. First, I think it's his first TV appearance. And he's like, I don't see why you should hide it if you've, uh, you've got something to say and you know it's good. Uh, we're out for everything we can get. And he, he's, like, really direct like this. He always talks about Oscar Wilde being his hero and better to be talked about than not, that quote. I think he, he still, he'd rather be talked about and outrageous and maybe even low. Basically, you never have a two-minute conversation about Morrissey, which we're not doing now. You know, it's, it's As soon as you mention him, you talked about him for ten minutes. And I think it's that. I think the fact that he'd sacrifice his moral values for that a little bit is a little bit, you know... He, but he's playing a game, man You think he's playing
1: a game? You don't think he is actually an overt racist who's expressed... I had-
2: I, 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 uh, is he? He certainly sounds like one. You know, I would hope that it's a stupid game because I really admire his stuff. And from the way he writes, so tenderly, from the point of view of the heartbroken and the lonely, you know, I wouldn't have thought him capable of hate thought, hate speech. I don't know.
1: It does feel like a wound in the in the psyche of Manchester's popular culture. Which I think
2: is... we'd all prefer it if he belted up. <laughs> oh, Morrissey, shut the fuck up! Because mm. he's genius, and everything he stood for—you know—it's it's just great. And yeah, it's a really horrible black mark against it, isn't it?
1: It is. Oh, you got one of those. I a yeah, I'd say it's a lost cause if I'm honest.
0: Never. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Shall we some
1: desserts? I'm going to order the Eccles cake and Lancashire cheese, but purely as a kind of referential.
2: Oh, yes. Thank you. I'm just going to have some sorbet, I think.
1: No, you got to that point. Do you want the vodka or not? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I think so. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Could I have a, a double espresso, please? Make, make it two of those, please.
1: And now a word from our sponsor, which in this case is me. I've got a new book out. It's called My Last Supper, One Meal, A Lifetime in the Making, in which I attempt to answer the one question I've been asked most often, what would my last meal on earth be? I go out in search of the ingredients. It does include pig. And I tell the stories behind them. It's available now in hardback, ebook, and audio formats. And I'm also on tour with a live show based on the book. For tickets and info, visit jrainer.co.uk. And now back to Out to Lunch. With a new album out, does that mean you're about to go out on tour as well? Yeah. There, there is a logic to the way these things.
2: Yeah, we're going to Europe in November. So I'm going to Manchester for rehearsals on Wednesday. And then.
1: How big an outfit are you taking on the road?
2: Um, the boys and two additional musicians, so... Just two? Yeah. S- they on? Singers and violins, yeah. And, uh...
1: That's quite paired back for you guys, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, we do different versions of the songs that have got orchestras on them.
1: So if you do a day like this, which everybody's going to yeah. expect you to do...
2: Yeah, which we always do, yeah. We always play it at the end, and they always do the last bit of singing. It feels <laughs> like an extension of the encore, you know? The whole thing about the encore, my, my agent, Jeff Kraft, who, who retired last year, we, we always used to find encore silly. You know, they know we're going to come back. It's pantomime. Why are we doing this? And he's like, it's their chance to perform for you. So you've got to give it to them. That was his view. Uh, and actually, I think one day like this is exactly, you, you actually see people going. You know what I mean, like... Cracking their knuckles, ready for bed. Yeah, totally, yeah. We're going to have
1: a sing-song now. Yeah. Although that is a thing. I've I've looked at footage of your audiences, and they they are word perfect. I mean, if you did go
2: down, there'd be 50 people in the audience who could come up and do your job. Funny you should say that, Jane. I I lost my voice in Washington at the famous 9.30 Club. Uh, Right near the end of a set, And, yeah, nothing came out. Open mouth, nothing came out. And this is about 2003, I think. And I could talk, but I couldn't sing. And I just sort of said, we've only got a couple of songs to go. Does anybody know Newborn, one of our songs? And this lady called Elaine, who's our friend to this day... up with her hand. ..and she did a very smoky, jazzy rendition of our tune. And then our tour manager had a brilliant idea uh, because we were sharing our gear with a band called South, who were on tour with us. Uh, so we had to go up to the next town and the next venue. So he phoned ahead all the radio stations in the area uh, and said, Guy's lost his voice, but it's elbow karaoke. And I was still on stage playing guitar and cueing the punters, but they were getting up with a lyric sheet and they did the entire set. <laughs> uh, which was really entertaining, actually. It was really good. Thanks. I say I wear it well, but am I slurring? No. Oh, God. Sniff of the barman's apron.
1: So there's a sorbet arriving in front of you with a little shot glass of vodka. Did you have any other plans for Monday? Just meeting my wife, and she's been out with the best mate, so... It'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. Culture of the Eccles cake, or just was it ever
2: a part of your life? My mother's maiden name was Eccles. Was it? Which she didn't go back to. (laughs) Garvey, it's a good name. Well, no, no, she didn't stay at Garvey either. Oh, did she? Not? She's she's now Shirley Harrington. So at the end of my show every week, I say good afternoon, Mrs. Harrington. That's my shout. On my Six mind. Music, yeah. Um, the, it's the one you forget about the Eccles cake.
1: You do. The other one is the Chorley cake,
2: which
1: mm. uh, I don't want to insult the good people of your county, but it's fucking horrible. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I mean, apparently there's a good Chorley cake out there, but I've like, yet yeah, to have one. Compared to the Eccles cake, it's...
2: Hey, it works with the cheese. Mmm. Nice cultural nod.
1: It's only for you. It's on the menu... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to claim that, but it is on the menu literally every day.
2: Oh, You could have got away with that. I know. This is delicious.
1: Mmm. And you're about to go on tour.
2: Yeah.
1: How do you feel about the idea of that separation
2: Um, being away from him is harder and harder but it's only because my situation is so great because I love him so much and I I love what's happening and that's only happening because the thing I'm going on tour to support (laughs) so So I kind of you know so you said the other day daddy's going to Manchester I was like not till Wednesday, you know. And I'm here to... so he's already starting to get it that I'll be away for a couple of days at time. So we've got to sort it out that he doesn't have to. I'll have to do like a Christmas jazz album or something, and um, by a by, by gaff and press switch again. Guy Garvey
1: sings Christmas.
2: Just, I've got a really original idea. I'll just like wear a, a tuxedo, but, but, but yeah. open, like it's the end of the night.
1: Shit, nobody's done that.
2: Right, roughen my hair a bit. One of those old-style microphones that looks great and sounds shit.
1: Could you just sing the words chestnuts roasting on an open...
2: <laughs> With no hard syllables.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a swell of... And you can get the Halley in again. Oh, brilliant. They'll be grateful for the, for the gig.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I, and then buy a house from Manchester. Do you know what? Never say never. I'm not saying it's never. It's sounding like a really good... Guy Garvey elbow Elbow Does Christmas...
1: I think we've we've sorted it haven't we Because this is Jack's inheritance Exactly Drink the vodka and then we'll keep working on this Delicious (laughs) And very cold Really good I think I have to say that feels like a perfect note In which to say Guy Garvey thank you for letting me take you out to lunch
2: I have really enjoyed it Thank you very much I've loved it Excellent How's your sorbet? Delish. Nice. I've gotta say, if I could ever do any part of it again, it'd be the vodka. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If that wasn't enough for you, you can find a heap more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could give us a five-star review, it'll help other hungry folk find us, especially if you share us about, and then I'll love you. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer was Rosie Marotra. The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's Bake Off winner turned broadcaster and all-round national treasure, Nadia Hussein.
2: Everything I've ever done leads to this moment
0: right here. Just being sat here with you because my sister hates the fact that I'm sat here with you and she's not here. She said, if anyone, you want to get insulted, you want to get insulted. <laughs> I'm not going to
2: insult that. I know you're not. I'm not I said, clean. you know, he might be nice to me, you know.